Welcome to the Big Mike Fund Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlotnik. Today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Sam Wilson. Hi, Sam. Hello, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Great, man. Can't complain. Sam hails to us from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And um, Sam is an opportunistic real estate investor. He's invested into a broad range of asset classes, including self-storage, parking, uh, multifamily, RV parks, single-family homes, and so on and so forth. He's also a host to uh, a podcast called How to Scale Commercial Real Estate Podcast. And uh, so let's start by uh, learning a little bit about Sam. Um, Your family, I like to put it, wives, kids, pets, cats. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Uh, as you said, I live here in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm not a Tennessee native. Uh, my wife is, but uh, I owned a business up in Indiana. We got married. I sold that. And then we decided to head south because we hate the cold. So uh, and Tennessee may even yet be still too cold for me uh, in the winter, though winter is short, uh, especially here in the Delta. But either way, uh, yeah, married. Uh, my, you know, I always joke. I, I introduce her to my first wife. Uh, cause that's who she is. We've been married for 11 years. Uh, you know, we've got three foster kids at home, five, three, and one. Uh, so it's a, it's a house full and all hands on deck there, you know, a dog that found me in the woods. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's the short of it, man. It's a, it's a house full and it's, and there's always lots of activity, but, um, you know, the kids right now probably keep us more busy than, uh, than, uh, anything else. Yeah, it's a great family. I know the drill. <laughs> Got four <laughs> wife, four kids, and a cat. So it's you can get pretty busy. Uh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. So um let's talk a little bit about real estate. Let's start. Um what do you like today? I mean, we are kind of recording this in early summer. Um kind of we're dealing with a very inflationary environment. Everything seems to be doing well, real estate is, is hot, but uh, what do you see, what are the best opportunities going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think everybody's asking that, Mike. Uh, and so, you know, the only thing I can do is just say from my perspective, what, uh, you know, what we see as opportunity. I think anytime uh, you're in an inflationary period, you want to be an asset that can be quickly repriced, right? You want hard assets that can be quickly repriced and pass that inflation on in theory, you know, on to the end, end consumer. Um, so, you know, we, we own laundromats right now. That's a business I'm involved in, uh, which, you know, the repricing of self-service laundromats takes me about 15 seconds. So it's, um, well, sorry, guys. You know, utility, our utility costs have gone up in the last year 150%. That's an extra quarter, right? Or whatever the charge is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I put 25 cents an extra on those machines and, 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 and now you've paid for the utility. And it's really, you know, it gets absorbed by everybody and it's not that big of a deal. Uh, in the, in the real estate realm though, uh, you know, looking at things, you know, we, we've had some weird, weird stuff going on. Obviously everybody's aware of the COVID problem, uh, of the eviction moratoriums and things like that. I am involved in multifamily, uh, and luckily both my passive and active investments, uh, have fared fairly well in, in those environments. Uh, and we've not suffered too much from eviction moratoriums, but I am leery of where that's going. 
you know, how is that going to affect us moving forward? Can we reprice those quickly enough to keep up? I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, bearish on multifamily, but it's one of those things that I just kind of keep a, keep a, a, a wary eye on it and go, okay, you know, the asset has to make a lot of sense for us to buy that. Things like self-storage make a lot of sense to me um, because one, you know, it's typically done well in a recessionary environment. Uh, and also because it's, again, going back to, it can be fairly quickly repriced. It's not as fast as some other assets, uh, but you're also not limited by, you know, Uncle Sam coming in and saying, hey, guys, you know, you can no longer charge, at least not yet, um, you know, what you want or what market rates are for self-storage. So I like that. Uh, again, the pandemic spurred some things in the boat and RV um, space that's been very interesting for boat and RV storage and both, both for RV parks. I mean, that, that industry has exploded. I think uh, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of make up a statistic here, but it, it was close to this. Year over year deliveries, 2019 to 2020, by like three quarters of the way through the year, were up like 35 or 40% last year. Uh, and that number is yet increased in 2021 over 2020. So we're just seeing this humongous surge in interest in RV in travel within the United States. Uh, and so then you're going to have, where, where do those people park those first of all? And then secondly, you know, when they use them, where, where, where do you use them? Typically you're going to stop at an RV park on vacation or go to, you know, if you're heading out West, you're going to go to an RV park for a few days. Uh, or, you know, there's obviously long-term RVers as well, but uh, more as the recreational hobbyist, those are, those are people that, uh, you know, are going to need places to both store them and, and um, you know, put them to use. So I see upside on that front as well. So I don't know if that makes sense or not. And there's probably some other, uh, some more bizarre interests I have, but those are, uh, those are kind of the ones in the front of the mind. Yeah, those are great comments. Uh, it makes a ton of sense. People have traveled during the pandemic, uh, typically shorter distance. They avoided air, air travel and, you know, getting our, an RV or getting a boat and, and getting away from kind of the crowds has been the trend. Mm-hmm. So that makes a ton of sense. The, the storage, yeah, my comment on the storage is I also like that uh, asset class. We continue to invest in that. Uh, it is the beauty about self-storage. It's one month rent. If there's inflation, you could pass increases fairly quickly. And generally, they're pretty affordable. If you were charging 100 bucks a month, now you're going to charge 110. People are not going to drag their stuff out of storage for 10 bucks a month. No. So all those things make a ton of sense. Yeah, multifamily is an interesting discussion. Uh, just, just providing short comment on what you said. It, it is very true that some of the moratoriums, you know, it, it really depends on where you're located. I mean, it comes down to what state you're in, what is the local view on um, who is, you know, who, who are the governments trying to please? Are they trying to please, I guess, the voters? and trying to keep things, you know, I, mean, I live in New York City, it's almost the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate uh, tenant-friendly environment. And, and nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, rents are still uh, climbing up. And mm. it's kind of interesting, um, you know, on the collection side, it really, the quality of the asset ma- matters more uh, than, uh, you know, depending on the locale. The collections are challenging in some locales and Right now, the ones, but these are great comments. Let's continue the discussion. So, for commercial real estate investing, mm-hmm. your, your podcast is how do you, how to scale a commercial real estate investing. So, let's go to the basics. How do you scale commercial real estate investing? Yeah, and and, and the point of the show really was was to uncover those secrets. 
you know, at this point, I think we've done 200 episodes in the last six months or 220, whatever it is, it's up there. Uh, and, and, you know, the things that we have found is, 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 you know, the, the basic components of the team that you organize. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's really the, the fundamental is, is the, in the, in the seats on the bus, finding that team, building that team. And of course, selecting your asset class and, and really niching down into what you're doing. And, um, you know, you got your acquisitions guy, you're going to have your, um, you know, gosh, what are the four seats, Sam? I haven't slept much lately, Mike, here we go. So (laughs) you're going to have your acquisitions guy. Uh, you are going to need someone that goes out and is your capital raiser. You're going to need somebody um, that is really running the behind the scenes, the admin uh, side of things. And I mean, and, and then you need an asset manager. I mean, those are going to be the four, you know, basic people that you're going to need to build that team. And if you can build that team and then go out and effectively put yourself in the marketplace that you want to invest in, I think, I think that's a great strategy uh, to really kick things off. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, scaling does come with the team. If you have no team, you can't scale. You can't go buy a bunch of stuff because you have nobody to run the assets. So from that right. perspective, it makes a ton of sense. Um, so for, this is for active investors. So you, yeah. you're basically saying you're a specialist. You've selected the strategy. Right. I believe you have. If you're a storage um, investor, then you have to have an acquisition uh, expert. You got to have an asset management expert. You got to have obviously capital raising. And all those things are critical to the success of any 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 endeavor or any project. So agreed. So besides the team, how do you find um, the deals? One of the primary challenges in today's environment has been acquisitions have been hard to find because of the you know, lower interest rates, cap rates have compressed. The um, uh, basically the sellers, the, the distressed motivate distressed situations are fewer and fewer. Right. So it's become you know mostly. Momentum plays, right? I mean, that, that's uh, unless you can find unique distress situations. So, h- how do you scale kind of acquisitions? Is there a silver bullet there? A good strategy? You know, and, and I can only speak from what what I have done personally, and it, and it kind of mirrors uh, what you guys are doing in your funds, which is to go out and I've, and I've been I've been in the in the industry long enough that I that I have just excellent. Uh, I have excellent industry partners that are, that are the operators that are doing those acquisitions that are vetting the deals. My, my line is, or, or my, I always say that, that, that there's already enough lines in the water, right? There's enough guys fishing in the same, or, or enough people fishing in the same ponds. The last thing they need is for me to go into that same pond and pick market X, Y, Z and throw another line in the water and then just bid, you know, for the same assets even higher. So what I've done is find key operators that I know, like, and trust, you know, those are the things that, that, that you have to have and said, all right, guys, let me be, you know, part of the general partnership. Yes. We'll bring capital. Yes. I'll bring my industry contacts. Yes. I will help you underwrite and vet some of these deals as you send them to me. And so that's, that's how I've gone out and acquired, you know, more acquisitions for me and my investors, you know, for people that are more active, I mean, there's there's all the strategies, you know, there's the brokers, there's direct mail, there's cold calling. I mean, those are all the kind of tried and true, uh, more deliberate ways of finding assets. But for me, um, you know, what I what I have found again is just is just finding excellent operators to work alongside that are doing that. Um, you know, we're seeing some stuff come across our desk that are that 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 the the more portfolio acquisitions I think are taking place right now, where you've got some larger large people selling some stuff off because they like, they like the cap rates where they are. 
Uh, and yet they're still leaving some meat on the bone for some of these people. So we're seeing some unique, unique opportunities uh, in all the asset classes I just mentioned uh, along that front. So yeah, when it comes to acquisitions, I mean, that's, um, that's, that's been my experience thus far. And I've, and I've done it on, in some other asset classes on my own, you know, again, with the tried and true methods, but um, you know, that's what I've found to be effective in today's environment. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we do a lot of the similar stuff. We uh, work with the competent operators and uh, sort of position ourselves to be reliable providers of capital. Right. As a consequence, they, they typically reach out when they have the next deal they find. I mean, at least if they're not specialists in capital raisers, uh, raising. And what's really fascinating, there are teams that have all of the above. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there are organizations that are just good at one thing. Uh, identifying deals and running deals, and then I'd go to capital um, raising, and that's that's an opportunity to kind of to partner with them. But uh, it is a good point that um, it is a game of specialization. Any asset class, uh, it requires all kinds of experience and ability to execute. I think today, uh, and you know, feel free to provide comments. It is even more important to execute well because. Um, uh, a lot of these deals that you see, and, and it's it's true for multifamily, it's true for storage, it's true for pretty much anything. There's a value as strategy, and we invest into a lot of these deals. And um, uh, value add, by definition, requires more work, and uh, there's more risk associated with the with the value add. Now, the upside is greater, but it is predicated on the great execution. So, uh, one of the major risks today, at least you know what I've seen. Uh, there's a massive inflation of construction materials and uh, labor and the the budgeting and the, the assumptions that, that some of these deals are underwritten, they, they, the numbers don't work because they, they're, they're trying to sell the deal and they, they underprice the cost of the work and then they get into the deal and then whoops, this costs a whole lot more to, to complete. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't, I can't tell you the, the, the number of vetted quote unquote deals that are sent to me. And, and, you know, cause, cause I, we, we interact with a lot of people on a lot of fronts uh, and it's, it's usually your less experienced operators that are trying to get going, that are trying to make a deal work. And they send it to you and say, Hey, look, we got this under contract and we'd love your help coming in. And I turn a lot of those. I just, I just round bend them. It's like, well, I'm really sorry, but I don't, for, for all the reasons you just mentioned, like the, 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 the assumptions are flawed the rent growth is, you know, way too high. The cost of uh, reconstruction or, or uh, you know, remodeling the assets just too low. They haven't built in. And then the other thing I see here's the funny one, and I was actually dealing with somebody this week on it. It's it's a friend of mine here in Memphis on a on a, a uh, retail deal actually that we're working on, and he sent it to me. And his underwriting was so conservative. I said, "You'll never sell it." So I just, you know, he hadn't built in refinance. He hadn't built in rent bumps. He hadn't built in bringing tenants up to, you know, cost per square foot. I was like, all right, we, let's go the other way. So that was a fun, kind of a fun, actually kind of that conversation we hang up uh, here is going back to the underwriting and actually bringing in what really could be a very, very still conservative underwriting and make the deal work and, and be appealing to investors. Um, so, you know, that, that's an unusual conversation. But you, to your point, yeah, the other, the other way around is, is what we're seeing more often uh, than not. Yeah, it's a great point. You found that that's a rare gem when, because uh, <laughs> yeah. they, 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 they usually the um, uh, the operators. Well, there are a few conservative breeds. I guess if it's an insider conversation with very conservative numbers versus the forward-facing numbers um, that the investors need to see, and, and it is always a tag of war between 
conservative underwriting, making it pretty for for uh, for marketing purposes. What's really, um, you know, I don't want to call it fascinating, but almost uh, aggravating, is the fact that the best marketers they put the rosiest numbers out there, and then quite quite often they can perform, but they're successful at capital raising. And uh, what's really, you know, just kind of, you know, tickles is the investors don't look at risk. They look at the top line. They look at the shiny object. The shinier it looks, the um, the more likely they're going to invest. So if you take a deal and underwrite conservatively and you show IRR 16 to 18%, and then you take a deal and then you get aggressive, you could push that number up, depending on variables, you can put it, push it into mid-20s. It's right. just the, the game of numbers is you can get pretty creative. And that's, you know, that's, that's a big challenge. It, it, as, as, in, as, you know, as an investor, as a fund manager, I, I, I struggle from time to time to um, uh, understand is this a conservative number or this is a shiny object. And it, it's quite often, it's not an easy exercise because um, there are variables and you have to go through assumptions and it's, it's painful and you, you're, you're still speculating. Unfortunately, you don't know how things are going to play, play out. But the good news is inflation generally is kind of a tide that rises all boats back to the boats. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, and I think I think educating your investor base, whoever it is, on what that looks like. I mean, the, the, the bulk of investors going back to the no like and trust comment, you know, they know like and trust Mike Zlotnick, right? Uh, and they're going to trust that what you say, okay, we've underwritten this and that's great. Uh, the bulk of your investors aren't going to get into the weeds in the spreadsheet. You know, they're not going to get into that and go, okay, you know, and I've had a few do it, but more often than not, they don't. Um, so they're not going to know where those hidden traps may lie in the assumptions and the underwriting. I, of course, you know, get into every single spreadsheet and every deal we look at. I want, I want to see all of your numbers and I want to walk, you know, have a, a Zoom call and actually walk through it and go, okay, do I like this? What, what have you, what have you, what have you assumed in this that maybe I haven't, uh, you know, that, that, that I can review and make sure it makes sense. So yeah, I think educating your investors on what those potential landmines uh, are in the shiny object, uh, you know, underwriting assumptions uh, is really, really valuable. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've had this debate, you know, what's really fascinating is that again, back to the shiny objects and because, um, uh, you know, we, we, we manage family of funds and when you invest in a fund, we smooth them the right for you because we invest into many projects. And right. you don't see the bumps down in, in not as much as you bumps up. So the returns are, are smoother, more predictable. On the other side, uh, if you go through all these projects, they're all underwritten for a bigger number. And um, uh, But I had called a number of um, uh, crowdfunding platforms. Mm. And they've reached out and they want to put our funds on the platforms. And after the conversation, when they begin to understand we have diversified funds, they struggle. They say it's harder to sell. What people respond to, what's easier to sell, is the shiny objects. They all, what, 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 what's, what's, you know, I mean, maybe this is life. Um, what sells well is what, what, what is priced well. And uh, my hope investors look beyond the shiny objects. It's, 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 at the end of the day, that, that's what happens. Uh, and and uh, you can invest into 10 deals and, and eight could be good and two bad. But if you average out, <laughs> you right. did a whole lot worse. If you did something uh, in a more diversified manner, but anyway, let's continue the conversation. Um, so, parking lots, garages. Do you see 
anything interesting happening there? I know it's kind of one of the things you do. What's happening there? It's kind of very old asset class. It's been around. Um, I, I guess people still need to park their car somewhere. They still travel. Uh, any kind of you know recent developments, where things are going, where the opportunities are. Yeah, and this is this is a problem we kind of ran into in the last oh gosh, 2019, 20, well, yeah, 2019 acquisitions became very slow and very challenging. Uh, you know, parking is, is actually a really fascinating uh, asset class. I, I, I enjoyed it. We always said there's, there's, there's the three T's weren't there. There's no toilets, tenants, termites. If you're owning a, if you own a service lot in a central business district, like the, the joke was always, what's it going to do? Flood? It's asphalt. We just wait for it to go down. Your risk is really low. Uh, management headache oversight was very easy. You'd have an operator that you'd plug in. Uh, they'd automate everything. It just, it was, it was just a very, uh, it was a fun asset class to invest in. But what began happening is obviously as the economy kept heating up and heating up, people got wise to the fact that, Hey, th there's redevelopment potential on a lot of these surface lots. And so then the prices really just skyrocketed when it came time to uh, came time to buy. So you it really underwriting became much harder uh, to make the numbers pencil. And so our acquisitions really slowed down. Um, and I think until we see kind of some of that pullback in the economy, I don't think we're going to see any asset prices necessarily coming down to a point where it makes sense to, to go back to buying. And especially when, when uh, you know, 2020 happened, what we saw was that asset uh, income, net operating income on a lot of these lots and garages just fell off a cliff, but yet the prices remained the same, which then it just turned underwriting completely. It was, it was just not possible. You could, I mean, you couldn't get funding on it, you, but no bank could look at something that, that just really wasn't, you know, stuff that we were offering millions and millions of dollars for, you know, six months before suddenly wasn't even covering taxes, um, which is just, you know, that's not, that's not where we want to be. Well, we're, not, uh, we're not spec land, land buyers. So well, that, that's the COVID dislocation, I assume. Now, as we're coming out of COVID, just just curious if you see uh, the, the trend coming coming back, or yes, uh, what you mentioned, uh, the primary challenge becomes highest and best use, no longer a parking lot or right. parking. You know, it, maybe you could build a parking structure, but then the question is, is it more economical to build a parking structure or, or build some something else on that in that location? Yeah, and most of the time, it's build something else, just both from a tax. Uh, you know, a city tax revenue perspective, uh, and 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 also, like you said, for highest and best use. I am seeing it come back. There are opportunities that are starting to present present themselves. You know, obviously, it's going to be in the states that opened up the soonest. Uh, you know, looking in the in Florida and Texas and places like that, we are seeing, you know, some of that start to turn a corner. Uh, I love parking as an asset class. It's great when it's producing an income. Like I said, it's easy to manage. Uh, it's, you know, it's a great covered land play. If you have the right, if you have the right size and shape of lot, I mean, it's an excellent way to produce a very passive income and then, you know, always have the potential to redevelop it and something, something else. Uh, so yeah, we're seeing that come back, but, uh, it's still not at a point for us at this point where we're ready to jump back in, uh, with both feet and go, uh, go back to buying, uh, or even can that, that that's what we really ran into is not that we, not that we, um, thought it was necessarily a terrible idea. We just couldn't do it because you just couldn't underwrite it. And again, we're, we're only going to buy things that actually produce an income. So that's kind of one of our guiding principles. And if it, if it doesn't, then we're not going to buy it. So, you know, that's the, that's the end of it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You're a value investor. You're not a uh, kind of a growth investor taking a lot of risks with the, uh, mm -hmm. with the upside. Um, makes a lot of sense. Um, 
the the other question that I had is, um, I guess I don't know if, if if you're seeing this at all. So you have uh, some history and a track record with buying at auctions, but now I guess th th that whole aspect of, of acquisition strategy is pretty limited, right? I mean, most of the auction sales haven't haven't taken place. Residential because of foreclosures haven't haven't been driving so no, no auctions. And then I, I don't know if you have any commercial auctions. You, you, you seeing anything happening or? I am watching the commercial auction side of things. There, there's been some interesting, interesting stuff that I haven't tracked as well as I probably should. Uh, you know, just some interesting things that are shaken out, and I think we're going to see more of that actually in the future when moratoriums lift, when when the pain of the uh, you know lockdowns and things actually begin to be felt. You know, I think I think that that will turn uh, that'll turn on its head, and we'll actually see a lot more of that. Right now, like you said, not a lot of opportunity, uh, especially on the single family side. We used to buy a ton, a ton at the uh, courthouse auctions for single family houses. And, um, you know, the, the hedge funds got wise to that. They started coming into town. Uh, and so then there was then there was just humongous institutional money coming into the fort. At least there were here in Shelby County uh, and really across Tennessee. Uh, and so we started competing with them, which we couldn't because I don't have hundreds of millions, uh, you know, in my in my pocket to uh, to buy at the foreclosure auctions. And they could pay up. They could afford to pay more for assets that didn't that, that had tighter margins uh, than what I as the small investor could. So, you know, that, that we did also put, um, it's a great, I mean, it's a great strategy. I, I loved buying at auctions. It was great. I mean, there's, you know, it's fraught with risk, but also fraught with great reward. So it, um, you know, that, that was something that was a lot of fun. I think we're going to see, I think, and I could be wrong. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't wish for it to be honest. I mean, it's, it's not good. It's not good when everybody's losing their house, when people are getting foreclosed on, when, you know, that just, just not a sign of great things, but, um, you know, it's also just part of part of what we, you know, what needs to happen. So, yeah, the, the, the natural uh, selection laws no longer play because the the government is interfering, and in, in, uh, to, to a degree, <clears throat> they that that moratorium and foreclosures have caused massive inflation because you you remove distressed inventory completely. Right. You remove distressed inventory. You, you got uh, effectively very limited supply. You have no distress supply. Well, distress supply disappears, only performing supply, and then the supply and demand is, is badly disbalanced. Right. So we'll see where it goes from here, but auctions are a vital part of the, of the system. And, and um, uh, in some, in, from some, you know, the, you know, from one point of view, I don't want people to lose their houses. Another, on the other side, if these properties are badly behind and no payments have been made, then I mean, it, it, they need to go through the process. If they don't go through the process, it becomes, I don't know, what do you call it? It becomes <laughs> you, you as a lender or you as an investor, you know, cannot participate in the, um, in repositioning of a distressed asset in some ways it's a shame for the neighborhood and, and it, need, it needs that. But um, yeah, so appreciate all your wisdom and um, any, kind of parting thoughts we we are almost out of time any any great uh nuggets on uh, or how would people contact you if you want to learn more about um sam and and uh maybe look to invest in a parking garage or something yeah they yeah become available right yeah well and they are available I've, i know some people in the in the business that uh just closed a great garage and it's like it was a deal that made sense so there's opportunity out there i'm not saying there's there's anybody that says there's never opportunity isn't looking hard enough 
Um, so, you know, that, uh, yeah, the great best, best way to get a hold of me, you can email me, uh, Sam at Bricken, B R I C K E N investmentgroup.com. Uh, on our website, you can go to brickeninvestmentgroup.com forward slash checklist. There is a great guide that we've put together, which is how to vet a deal in 10 minutes. It's a checklist that I actually use myself uh, because I could, I found that I could spend incredible amounts of time looking at the wrong deals that didn't necessarily fit my buy box. And, some, and somehow you're like, but maybe, I wonder if, and then an hour and a half later, you're like, no, that's probably not the right one. Uh, so I've really got something, got, got a, a guide that helps you narrow that down to about a 10 minute, you know, you can spend 10 minutes looking at a deal and help you figure out if, Hey, is this something to investigate further? Or do I throw this out? So look that up, brickinvestmentgroup.com forward slash checklist. Uh, otherwise shoot me an email, uh, and I'm happy to, uh, respond as, as fast as I can. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's actually a great nugget because, uh, if you are looking to buy, you got to have your goals in your box. And what are you looking for? If you don't know, know what are you looking for? Well, you don't know where you're going. How are you going to know you got there? Right? <laughs> a lot of people look at deals that have no idea what they're looking for. Right. So how, how does this fit? It's a bright and shiny object. Maybe a phenomenal deal, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit your strategy. Right. I, I have that conversation almost every day or a few times a week when people call and they, they want to invest, and then they go through a family of funds. At least we, we just give them tempo opportunity, tempo growth. Two basic choices, and they don't know what they want. So how do they choose? Right. <laughs> uh, hopefully, you, can, you, can, you have your own internal plan. You know, what are you doing with IRA money? What are you doing with the non-IRA money? What, what kind of assets would be comfortable for you to invest in? Are you looking for a little bit more investment grade, more conservative investing versus a little more speculative where you can make a little higher return. If you knew at least some basics of it, you could do a lot better selecting deals because otherwise you just don't know where you're going. So Yeah. And investors get so overwhelmed too. I mean, you know, you're looking at, oh, do I do, do I do this? Do I do that? And, and then, you know, seven weeks have passed and you've looked at how many countless deals and you're still not sure what you're doing with it. It's a very frustrating, especially if you're first starting out, once you get some traction, it becomes easier. But yeah, when you're first yeah. out, it, it's really, it, it can be information and um, just processing overload. So that'll help you, you know, hopefully some of your listeners help them uh, kind of narrow that down and become an easier process. Yeah. Thanks for the checklist. It's worth having a checklist. And I, I, I do want to say also, it's important to have a plan. Most people don't even have a plan. Right. Uh, you're, you know, my father taught me, um, you got to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, it's a lot worse than having a bad plan, at least starting with a plan and then being able to change it. Because if you have no plan, I mean, you're planning to fail. They're right. saying failure to plan is, 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 is planning to fail. So you got it. You got it. So thank you for your wisdom. Again, uh, breaking investments, investment group.com. That's the way to find you. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, let's talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fund Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to BigMikeFund.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.